Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Wow, we are here. Can you, like, 2022. Uh, seems like a, like a, I, we were talking last night, it seemed like a weird kind of space number, but like, that's our reality. We are here now in this new year. And I am honored uh, to be here with you. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here at Kessid. And we are actually today closing our series from now to forever. So for the last couple of months, starting in November, we began a conversation and our heart in this series was to be able to kind of embrace the tension that exists as we hold together uh, living in the present and then living in light of eternity. And so like holding those together, how do we do this thing called life well, being present, fully present in what we're doing right now and knowing that there are big things um, going on in our world that we want to be a part of and see that God is doing. And so we've been holding that tension to, together, realizing that all we ever have is from now, this moment, to forever. And the crazy thing is, uh, you, we have less of that time than when we started this series just a couple of months ago. Um, a lot of things have happened in the last couple of months. And before we get started with the message here today, I want to I want to highlight one little Kessid tradition that some of you don't know about, all right? Some of you don't know, and, and maybe you've walked in here on a Sunday, uh, and you've been a part, and you've like seen people, I've been watching each week, and people come up to the front here, and they start looking around the stage, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, and they're looking for something, right? We have a tradition here at Kessid where we have this little friend right here, this guy, right? <laughs> And he gets hidden somewhere on the stage every single week. Now, you didn't even, many of you don't even know this was our tradition because we like um, for him to be hidden. But now we get to clue you in on it. And you didn't know he was moving around every single week. We put together a little video to kind of highlight the different places he's been every single week. So as a fun Kessa tradition, go ahead and watch this with me. I had someone this last week uh, tell me, because the, the gnome was hidden at some point, like down, I think it was underneath the tree, and they were like, listen, this is not fair. The people in the balcony cannot see that, and this is not fair to them, all right? And so we're all in this together, apparently. So you're now clued in on our little silly uh, tradition here. And as a uh, person who did youth ministry for years and years and years, we like to highlight here the fact that God moves through joy. Right? And so this is just one of our traditions. You've experienced a ton of traditions over the last couple of months uh, also. Um, as uh, Two months ago, we started this series. Did you realize that you were given 
1,344 hours since this series began to steward, right? You were given 80,640 minutes to steward, to live and experience, right? And that's just over the last two months. When I say two months, maybe you're like me. When I say two months, it both feels like uh, a long period of time and a short period of time at the same exact time. Uh, Over this last two months, now this is just me, over the last two months, as I look back, I have both officiated a wedding. I was, I was blessed to officiate my friend uh, Sarah and Jordan's wedding. These are my friends. Sarah, actually, I've known for almost 20 years now. She was in my youth, my first youth group. She was my very first youth assistant that I ever had as, an, as a brand new youth pastor. And I had the, the joy of officiating their wedding um, just recently. I also had the honor of officiating a, a, a memorial of a gentleman who was one of the foundational uh, influences and pillars of our Kessid Columbia community, Floyd. And I had, and as a pastor, I often have this really unique experience where I get to meet someone and I actually participate in telling the story of their life uh, having never met them. And so I sit with families and they tell me the story of the impact of this person and how they touch hearts and how, what their experience was of life. And it is just, and my word for that is I'm, I'm, I'm honored to play that role. And when I think about this spectrum, right, I, I officiated a memorial and a wedding. That's kind of like the wide spectrum of the year, right? Like, like everything in between still happened and we experienced, I feel like, if you're like me, I experienced everything in between as well. We've all experienced, do you remember Thanksgiving? Doesn't it feel like it was a while, a while ago now, right? And then Christmas, was anyone here for our candlelight service, right? Beautiful candlelight service filled with a lot of fire in the room. It was awesome, but full, full, full room, lots of fire. Lots of things can happen in two months' time. I wonder which ones stand out to you. When you just think about the two months that we've spent in this series, kind of what, what stands out to you? It's almost overwhelming then to think about how this is only one-sixth of our year, and though life continues, so much has changed. And we're going to talk about kind of this idea of change here today, because that's when the new year comes, that's kind of on our minds and our hearts, and we're talking about what needs to change, what doesn't need to change, right? Um, A year ago, right, from now, a year ago, you know where I was, right? I was not in this beautiful Northwest, cold, cold, cold Northwest that we're at right now. I was in Hawaii, all right? I was in Hawaii. I uh, am blessed to have in-laws that live in Hawaii, so we have to go visit every once in a while, right, in Hawaii. And we were there on the beach and enjoying some time away. And I want to throw a picture up really quick, because this is my youngest, right? This is Owen, okay? (laughs) This is Owen, and this is him on the beach. This is us on the beach. And this is Owen's kind of like sea turtle face. And what I mean by this is all he's doing at this point is a little bit of couch surfing and crawling. And so we could, at this point, we could go to the beach and you just follow the sand tracks. And he was just a few feet down. Like you could literally just, he was just kind of moving through the sand slowly. And our big worry was if you can kind of see his face, he wanted to eat the sand, right? Like that's the stage of life that he was in. I'm going to eat, like sand is there and I guess I'm supposed to eat this, right? Like that was the stage of life. Right? I look back and this seems like forever ago now. I'm going to throw up a, a, a picture from just this last week. This, this is my little Owen and my oldest Micah right here. 
that, that little crazy redhead right there, like full on talks to you, runs around, jumps, wrestles. Like it's not just sea turtle phase where he's moving slowly. He's moving quickly. You have to watch all the time, right? I did this thing this year where I, I kept track of um, my family quotes from my family, right? And we picked a winner and I made them an ornament. And my little redhead right here, you know what his ornament said? No way. Right? That's his word for 2021 is he literally, this young, this little guy, he would look you right in the, in the eye and you'd say, stop doing that or anything. And he'd just be like, no way. Right? No way. <laughs> That's his. And so sometimes you can literally physically see change happen. It's in, in kids, we see this. And other times, not so much. Other times we need to reflect. We, and other times we need to kind of look underneath the surface. As we begin a new year together, some of us are dealing with change that has happened to us. Others of us, and and maybe some of the same crowd, we're looking and saying there is a change that we want to happen. And so in the new year, there's this opportunity to make change happen. We're putting plans together for that. And what I want to do today is have a little bit of a conversation about how we move into that. Huh? And, and to begin, a little bit of a warning, and maybe this is a good kind of story for all of us to climb into to, to compare ourselves. This last week we had snow, did we not? Anyone build a snowman? Anyone like have some fun out there? Like, no? Like all of you, all, everyone's just a coffee, tea drinker inside. A few of us built some snowmen. We played outside, right? Um, and my son yesterday was lamenting that he goes back to school tomorrow. And he was literally saying, like, what can I do? <laughs> There's still some snow out. What can we do to make sure that, like, school stays closed? And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I was a little proud of him because I remembered back. I have a sister that's a couple years older than me. And when we were, like, seven and nine, right, we had this exact same conversation in our front yard. And my sister that was two years older than me, we were, we were saying, we don't want to go back to school tomorrow. There was snow in the yard. There was ice but it was clear that it was melting, right? It was, it was clear that it was going away. And my sister said, well, and being, you know, my sister in the know-it-all, she's like, well, uh, they, only, <laughs> they only close the schools when the roads are dangerous. So we hatched this plan, and her and I piled up all the snow and ice, and we just hucked it out into the road in front of our house, right? That was our grand plan. This is our effort. We're gonna, we're gonna make this happen. Unfortunately, we live on a dead-end road, right? <laughs> we had school the next day, right? But that was our plan to make a change happen, right? If I'm honest, and if we are honest, sometimes it's not that silly for us, but sometimes when we have a change that we want to make happen, we just use the methods that we know, right? And not wisdom, and not God's wisdom. We use the method, and so we're gonna, and for some of us, we're gonna try again this year, and we're bringing the same thinking into that change that we're desiring. And what I'm hoping to do is step back from that. Now, you may end up with the same plans and the same actions that you started with at the beginning, but I wanna step back and say, how do we enter this year? How do we enter this year in a fresh, new way, knowing that we serve and we worship the God that makes all things new. And so how do we embrace that together? I think we begin with a little bit of a reflection back. 
What were the experiences of this year? Now, this sort of prayerful reflection is really important, and we saw Jesus embody this continually. We saw him um, often retreat from his own ministry, from his own disciples, from the noise, and he would go out into the wilderness. Oftentimes, he would climb a mountain to go and to sit with the Lord in prayer and to listen. Now, we're going to start a series next week on prayer, and we're going to talk about how this whole idea of prayer needs to be expanded in our minds past this us sharing, and that often and most of prayer actually is the act of listening. And Jesus embodied this and showed us and gave us examples of this. And so what I want to do today is dive into a story, dive into a story where we see Jesus remove himself from the noise and and from the pace of life to reflect. But this one's a little bit different because this time in Luke chapter nine, Jesus climbs a mountain, but this time he doesn't do so alone. Here we see a new version of his reflection as he brings along with him some of his core team, Peter, James, and John. So Jesus is going to climb a mountain with some of his disciples. Some helpful context as we start this story. This is about three years into Jesus' three and a half year ministry. So what that means for us is this is not a new relationship. These disciples have been with Jesus for three consecutive years, watching him perform miracles, listening to his teachings, everyday life with Jesus, right? So they should be kind of front row to the mission of Jesus, but we're going to see in our story that just being witness to what Jesus is doing, just learning what Jesus is doing does not mean that you are participating in his mission. And that can be true of ourselves too. Soon after this story, Jesus will begin his determined drive towards the cross. In a few verses, Luke 9, 51, it says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, and he even reveals to the disciples that he will die. And this is, this is not what the followers of Jesus expected. They expected this king to come, and to vanquish all, vanquish all the other foes, all of the other usurpers that would come and force power on top of them. And, and they expected King Jesus to come and to rule. And yet Jesus tells us in Luke 9, verse 22, it says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, the religious leaders of the day, and be killed, right? Those three words hold so much power, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is changing the entire game on these disciples. They have expectations as to how this whole thing will go. They believe that they are on the winning team and Jesus says you are, but just not how you think so. And your job is to follow me and to give up your life. To give it up. 
Yet the, Jesus, the disciples are carrying their own expectations into this relationship. And as we enter our story, we know that those expectations have been formed largely through what we call the law and the prophets. The Hebrew people, right? The Hebrew people formed their, the way that they lived in the world, the way that they did life and family and religion and faith, all of the above were formed by the law and prophets, the rules of the, the Old Testament, the laws, the Mosaic laws, this is how they ordered their lives. And then the words of the prophets that were passed down from generation to generation, these were on the Mount Rushmore of their faith. And that's what they, um, that's what they believed and that's how they lived their lives. Now, what we see continually, when you read the New Testament, you see the religious leaders, when they encounter Jesus, they're listening to his words kind of with a squinty eye, right? And they're, they're kind of listening and they're comparing Jesus' words against the law and the prophets. And that's how they're going to decide whether this, this person, Jesus, this teacher, this prophet, this uh, rabbi is someone that should be listened to. And the disciples are actually doing the same thing. What we're going to see in our stories is the disciples, though they are with Jesus and they follow Jesus, that they have been taught that the law and the prophets are on the same Mount Rushmore as Jesus. And our story is going to show us that that's just not true. So we turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 28. And it says this. Now about eight days after these teachings, after Jesus reveals that he will die, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. He says, we need some time of reflection. As he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, actually transformed, and his clothing became white and flashing with the brilliance of lightning. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. When we hear the names Moses and Elijah, with Moses we should think of law, and with Elijah we should think of the prophets. So again, these are, these are the heroes of the disciples' faith. who appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure. So they're having a conversation with Jesus about his death, the very same thing that just shocked the disciples, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And the story goes on in verse 32. It says, Now Peter and those who were with him had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and splendor and majesty and the two men who were standing with him. And as these men, Moses and Elijah, were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is delightful and good for us to be here. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being a disciple? And you're having this moment, you're already with Jesus and then the heroes of your faith are there and you're like, this is good. Right? And so Peter comes up with an idea. And he says, we should make three sacred tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And every once in a while, especially in the New Testament, we get this little like, this line from the author that gives us a little context. And it says this, not realizing what he was saying. Basically, other translations tell us, he didn't know what to say, so he just kind of came up with an idea. Hey, this is awesome. I don't know what to do. Let's build a tent because I want to stay here. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to be with Moses. I want to be with Elijah. This is where I want to be. This is where we should be. And this is good. And no sooner does he say that than a voice came out of the cloud saying, we have to listen to this. 
These words are going straight to the disciples of Jesus who have the best of intentions, by the way, of following Jesus. Yet, for some reason, words need to, be, need to come at this moment to give some correction. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen and obey and yield to him. Okay, pause for a second. Disciples have been following Jesus for three years, right? They, they left their lives to follow him. Right? They set down everything and they're with him. Yet for some reason in this moment, it is important for God the Father to come and give some marching orders that they would listen and obey and yield to him. Somehow there is more listening, there is more obeying, and there is more yielding to do. Because there is always more listening and obeying and yielding to do. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found there alone. The other characters have now gone away. And they kept silent and told no one at that time any of the things which they had seen concerning the divine manifestation. What I want to do today is dive in a little bit into these words from God the Father to the disciples. Now, I think we kind of know what listen and obey means, but we don't really use the word yield a lot in, in kind of normal conversations, do we? So let's, let's do a little work to understand that. For our purposes here today, this word yield has kind of a... a Double definition. The first is this. To yield is to produce, especially as a result of cultivation. So it means to work towards a goal and make something happen. So many of us right now, as we begin the new year, you've already started or, or hope to start some plans to, to do something this year, right? This can be anything. They can, this can be something in your personal life, in your relationships, in your business, at work, at school, all of the above. But you are putting work towards accomplishing a goal to get a yield, right? But the other definition for yield is to give up possession of. For some reason, God the Father needs to clarify to the disciples that seem to be sold out to Jesus that they need to give up possession of something to him. They're still holding something that's not theirs to hold, and it needs to be given to Jesus. I love this. Theologian David Garland had these words to say about this particular passage, speaking of the mountain experience. He says, it demands a radical shift in the disciples' worldview. They cannot remain the same, for such an unthinkable reality had never before been considered, much less occurred. Jesus as the son of God in human form does not fit into any of their philosophical or religious or theological categories. They had a Mount Rushmore and they were hoping Jesus was on it and God is clarifying, there's only one on it. There's, there's only one. So they must change and the change will affect everything. Every thought about reality, Every activity in their religious behavior, every dream and ambition of their personal lives. God's saying there, there is only one to yield to. There is only one. 
and his name is Jesus. Now, what I want to do today is play a little bit with the symbolism that we see in this story. Now, now on a little side note, this is, this is a wonderful text if, if you want to, to do a study on, because there are so many little nuggets that, that point back to beautiful texts and, and beautiful stories in the Old Testament, the work of, Mo, of Moses and of the prophets, right? But for our time here today, what I want to do is kind of bring this over into our lives and find some common ground. So in this story, I think we can all relate to this. In this story, we see Jesus bring some of his followers on a journey. Every single one of us, if you recognize it or not, if you embrace it or not, we are on a journey with Jesus, right? Some of us are, are gung-ho about that. Some of us are unsure about this. We're learning, we're, we're processing, we're, we're curious. And others of us, if we're kind of honest, we're sitting over here, right, hoping to not be on the journey. Yet whether you recognize it, whether you embrace it or not, you are on a journey with Jesus. And on this journey, Jesus brings his followers away from the noise and away from distraction. Now, I know for me, I would benefit from being taken away from the noise and distraction, even good ones and responsibilities of my life, and having some one-on-one time with Jesus. Would we not? Right? As they arrive at the top of this mountain on their journey in this, after seeking this reflective time, they see two pillars of their faith and life. They see what they believe in most. These, it's not just the characters, it's what they represent. This is what they believe in most. What I like about this story is that these are good things. These aren't sin, these aren't broken, they're not to run away from these things. They're good things, but a voice from heaven brings a terrifyingly clear message that these good things are to yield to Jesus because everything, is to yield to Jesus. This is true of the disciples then, and this is true of our stories today as we begin a new year. And here's our problem. We're not very good at yielding. Just look at traffic. (laughs) Right? Like, like, can we admit that sometimes we're just like not our best selves as we're driving along, right? <laughs> right? And especially in the places that we are to yield, right? And so this idea of yielding is, is recognizing that I don't own something. The act of driving on the freeway, entering the freeway, exiting the freeway is this, this kind of recognition that you don't own the whole road, right? You have to share it. How are we doing that, Right? How often have you been frustrated because you have to, you didn't have, we didn't figure out how to communicate well in some way, how to share something together, how to share a responsibility, a space, something together, right? We're not very good at yielding. This is true in our relationships too, by the way. When we're trying to occupy the same space and meet one another's needs and, but who goes, who goes first and whose needs matter more right now in this moment? Uh, oftentimes we're colliding together. We're not very good at yielding. We're not very good at giving up possession of what we think is ours. We're not very good. 
Yet the command comes from God the Father above all else. As you begin, the disciples are at this crucial point in their journey with Jesus. If you had three years from him, but now we begin the journey to the cross. Now we begin the journey to what I came here to do. And your only marching orders are to give up possession of your life. Right now. Somehow, you have not done that fully, and you need to give up full possession. See, Christ lived a fully yielded life to the Father. The most impactful life ever lived was a yielded one, where he gave up possession, his own desires, his own will, in service of us, of humanity. So let's talk for a moment about what yielding might actually look like, because here's what I'm a little bit afraid of. When I talk about this idea of yielding, what I'm a little bit afraid of is that we here, we just give Jesus all the responsibility of our lives. Take your hands off. It's not mine. It's yours, Jesus. It's your, God's going to do what God's going to do, right? And so we take our hands off that, and that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to hold your measure. Understand at the end of the day that we give it to Jesus, everything in our lives we give to him, and we trust him and we're in relationship with him so that we know what to take back. But it's not yours. So as we talk about this idea of what yielding looks like, yielding looks like giving up possession of what I think is mine. First, my plans, what I hope to accomplish. How much thought have you given to what you hope to accomplish in this new year? What you hope to accomplish in this new year? Have you given that to him? Have you yielded those plans over to Jesus? And I mentioned earlier, he may just give them back. You may get a gold star and say, you're, you see, you're, you're looking at this world like I'm looking at this world and you are on mission with me. But we are to yield it anyway. We give our plans to Jesus. Yielding looks like also giving our works to Jesus. By works, I mean where I put my energy and my resources. All of them. Your time, your effort, your money. Everything. How you spend all of it. Is it possible that when you look back at this year, you, you want to change a couple things about how that went? Yet, if, if we don't actually do the work of yielding to Jesus, all we're doing is bringing ourselves back, uh, like we're sending ourselves actually into 2022 and expecting a different result without ever yielding. And so I kind of admitting, Jesus, I, I have more to learn. There's more I need to give to you. Yielding looks like giving up possession of my desires especially those longings and cravings that drive me, especially the ones that drive your works and your plans, the ones internal, the, the things that are moving you down the road, the unhealthy ones. So many of us, you know, isn't it the rhythm? So many of us, when we start a new year, we th start to think about our physical bodies and our health, Right? And we're going to work out, or we're going to eat better, or we're going to do, and those are good, good things. But could it be, I was thinking about this in my drive-in this morning, could it be in this year that if you just go in and you follow whatever plan you're going to follow, there's apps, and there's workout plans, and there's books, and there's resources, and there's trainers, all good things. But what if our 
job is to sit with Jesus before we begin any of those plans and allow the one that made us, that knit us together in our mother's womb, to sit with him and say, Lord, I, I yield what I think is right to do. Could you give me some proper perspective as to how to see my body? As to what health should actually look like instead of just going into plan after plan after plan that might be good, but what would yielding in that area look like? We give up possession of our plans, our works, our desires. I have a question for you. As we think about why we would do that, I have a question for you. Do you see yourself as someone who is sent? As you sit right now, do you see yourself, as you, as you look forward to the new year, do you see yourself as someone who is sent by something greater than you? Do you see yourself as someone participating in God's work in this world? Do you see yourself as someone who's not just working for you or even expand that your family or your loved ones? Do you see yourself as part of something, of healing the world, of loving the world, of this restoration project that God is doing in the world? And the question is, on a grand scale, if you are a part of something that is that big, are you going to rely on your plans no. to do that, right? No. So how are you going to learn his? We have to yield our lives. We have to stop long enough to get our marching orders from him. That may be just a moment. That may be a prayer. That may be some time journaling. That may be a heartfelt conversation with someone we love and knows us as we look forward to what we're going to do in this next year. And it may be longer than that. It'll take as long as it takes. As we look forward into this new year, another just little word of caution. The rhythm of our culture is to recreate yourself in a new year, to give yourself a new life. But when I look at what Jesus is doing, what he, so, so by the way, that, that's just stealing from what God has been doing for all the time, which is making all things new, right? But what he wants to do is, is not just change the exterior of you, but change you from the inside out. And then what he wants to do is send you into the mission field. And for 99.9% .9 of us, can I just say this? He's lit, what, where he wants, you know where he wants to send you? The crazy, amazing mission field that we, he wants to send you to? Your life. Your life, your family, your workplace, your friends, the, the problematic people in your life. You know where he wants to send you to? There. How will people know that we are followers of Christ by our love. Where does he want to send you? Into your life. Into, you wanna be a missionary for Christ? Start there, steward that well. Live that well, yield your life because it isn't, I know this is so hard for us here, but it isn't your life. You were bought with a price. Yielding is hard work, is dedicated work. 
It takes humility and sacrifice. It requires the laying down of all your plans and works and desires. Yet we look back to the words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life, would hold on to what is mine, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, yields his life, offers it back to the one that created it in the first place, for my sake, will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if you get all that you're after, and loses or forfeits himself or herself? Some of us, I had a great conversation with a friend this morning, some of us just need to yield to the idea of change. Though we don't want it, things have changed. Things are different now. And we, we long to just bring everything back to how it was, but it's not. And so yielding may look like him finding a way to get with Jesus and embracing change, difference. For some of us, we need to yield our responsibilities. And that happens in one of two ways. For some of us, Man, you, you are a responsibility hoarder, right? You just need to get next to others and you see things that need to get done and you push them out of the way. And somehow, some way, trying to prove your worth by carrying all the responsibilities and yet the, the work that you're supposed to do is to get with Jesus and figure out what's just yours to carry. Don't rob someone else of the blessing of fulfilling their responsibility in the kingdom. Yet for some others of us, Yielding actually looks like actually picking up the responsibility that Jesus has been giving you for some time. For some time. He's been calling you into a certain mission field. He's been calling you to love someone. He's been calling you to forgive. He's been calling you to do something you don't want to do. And yielding means taking the brave steps to pick up that responsibility. For some of us, yielding looks like trust. Trusting in God's plans above your plans. For some of us, it means encountering the fact that trust has been broken in our lives before. And so the act of doing it is so foreign and so scary and so terrifying to us. And so what we need is a walk up and, on, and onto and down the mountain with our Savior to get some perspective, perspective to have some reflection in our lives. So what I want to do here today is offer a simple prayer for us. I'm going to read it once for us to begin with. This is our prayer. Jesus, my plans are yours. My works are yours. My desires are yours. I am yours. So here's what I want to do. If you're anything like me, you need to hear things more than once for them to really settle in, right? I'm going to ask you where you're at right now whether you're in this room, our friends that are online, I want to ask that you would close your eyes for just a second. And I want to read this prayer, not just as my prayer, but my hope is that it's our prayer. 
my words, but our words. Jesus, my plans are yours. My works are yours. My desires are yours. I am yours. Jesus, my plans are yours. All the things I hope to accomplish this year. My works are yours. All my efforts, all my striving, all the things I hope to do with my hands, my energy, and my resources, they're yours. My plans, my works. Jesus, my desires, they're yours. Because I am yours. Let me say this again, friends. Jesus, our plans are yours. We give them to you now. We offer them up. We yield them to you. Jesus, our works are yours. They're not mine because I am a sent follower of Christ and I am on mission. And what you are doing to build your kingdom is my priority this year. Jesus, my desires are yours. All those cravings that I have, those desires, those things motivating me underneath the surface, one by one, I give to you. One by one, I I pull them out of the darkness and into the light, and one by one, I submit them to you. May this be a year of yielding. May we, like the disciples, not skip. May we hear the words of our Father on the mission that we are called to, to begin with yielding. Jesus, my plans are yours. My works are yours. My desires are yours. And I am yours. Amen.
God, we come to you right now. We just thank you, Lord. We praise you. As I said, we praise you in the storm. We praise you in the calm. We thank you, God, that we can call you ours. And you call us yours. Thank you, God, for being unconditionally in your love to each and every one of us. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.